Hello, welcome again to another episode of EM Insider. As always, we're joined by Raphael Cassin. How are you doing, Raphael? Hi, Chris. Great to be here again, man. Good to hear from you. So we are speaking in October. We will probably get this out hopefully by the end of the month, which means it'll be the last one before the US election, which uh, of course are on November 3rd. Let's kick off with that. Where do we stand as emerging market investors looking at the US election? What are the potential implications from which everyone gets in power? What does it mean for US treasuries throughout the world as well? Yeah, this is actually the big elephant in the room, right? Uh, there, there's now a feeling that uh, Biden may have a large lead and let's say the blue wave uh, might turn out true. Uh, but I think that this, like the previous election and like Brexit is impossible to call. Um, anything that you do here could be, uh, you know, like putting your finger up in the air. Uh, given that that uh, voting dynamics are are different, um, so I I would try to stay out of the market for the next uh, few weeks uh, to see where it lands, and then you know once that's happened, I think we'll have a decent view. I think the market is looking to go up either way on the equity side, even though it's a little bit overpriced at the moment. I believe, uh, and I well others believe it too, um, and I and for for emerging. I think we are not suffering much because the, not only the U.S., but most developed countries and a few emerging countries have pushed up that levels to stratospheric levels. Yeah. So it's very unlikely that we are going to have U.S. treasuries shooting up in yield. Uh, I think, in fact, you know, we are going to have sub 1% for a while. Um, because these guys have issued, the, you know, they they need to pay the debt, and the higher the 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 interest rates, the worse. And importantly, I think if we look, you know, people people are looking at economic numbers on a weekly basis. I mean, this is nonsense, because each area is affected uh, at a different time in a different way by by COVID. Uh, so so it's a little bit difficult for us to say. Well, you know, this week it gets better. I, but what I think is more, uh, more, more clear is that overall, global, the global economy has not um, has not uh, uh, gone beyond where we were before. Um, so we still have a lot of catch up to do, and and that reinforces the view that. U.S. interest rates are not going to fly up, and anybody who talks about inflation, even at the two percent level, like uh, like the Fed chairman did recently, uh, I think obviously he's trying to talk markets, but it's unlikely, really unlikely. Even if it's hard to judge which way it could go, and and also it, it might be foolhardy to try and guess as it happened in 2016. Is there a preferred outcome? I've heard Biden, we might have talked about this last time, so apologies. But if Biden comes in, we'll possibly get a weaker dollar, which would be better for the commodities traders in the emerging world. But if Trump stays, there's likely to be an amping up of some of his policies, which could cause more friction with China. Is there one way or another that's better for the emerging world? Uh, I, I, think, I, think whichever, uh, I think stability, uh, global stability in developed markets uh, is the preferred outcome. If we have instability, if we have uh, issues in trade, it will be more complex. But remember, it's a balancing equation, right? We, we could have that, 
And at the same time, we have, you could have the U.S. with a good level of growth. And that would propel the rest of the world's economies. So that's why I, I think it's quite, I think the most important issue, I, I would put the, the, the side of, you know, the, the, whoever wins as a little bit on the side, um, because I'm not that good a predictor. Uh, sure. But I and, I, and I would say that what's more important is whether this COVID situation uh, gets sorted. And it will get sorted sooner rather than later. I think this is this is more the way I would look at it because there, there are lots of people in London who don't go to the office. Um, you know, the the borough of Hammersmith and Fulham has basically done its own, own congestion area. Uh, I mean, people are, are extrapolating into into crazy things. But what is true, I believe, is that soon we're going to end with this. The emerging economies continue to chug along. They haven't stopped completely because they need to generate cash. So I think, yeah, it's just a matter of, of COVID being sorted and then the U.S. elections being, you know, being over with. So people go back to making investments and decisions. One thing we thought we were over with, or at least moving on to a positive point was Argentina. We thought last time we spoke, even though there was still the talk of this vulture culture, as we termed it, it looked like the, the deal was progressing. That's changed this week and the week that we're speaking in, in the um, October 21st. Can you talk us through what's happened? Morgan Stanley is claiming it's one of the worst restructuring outcomes in the past 20 years. Yeah, I hope people on the on the buy side don't don't shoot at me for saying this. You know, I in the old days, uh, these restructurings were were quite civilized. You had people, investors throughout the whole spectrum uh casting their votes and and you could and generally you didn't have some of some investors on the buy side with so much ammunition uh to buy a lot at the bottom and i think with this restructuring it gets it became more clear that that a lot of people bought at the bottom and voted for the restructuring so yeah. let me let me throw you a stupid example here uh, if bonds are trading at par and I'm a, a private investor at, at a Swiss bank and they go to 30, uh, I'm probably not going to go out and buy more bonds at, at 30 uh, because I already have them at par. But for a, a long only or even a hedge fund manager who's got cash, it's a no brainer to buy these bonds at 30. So then we have a restructuring in which you get 50% back. Well, you made 20 points in a day. So yeah. for for the guy who bought this fund uh, or this hedge fund, obviously there's a little bit of profit to be made, but it's it's not very equitable. And and the problem with this is that a lot of these funds sold the bonds right after, so they haven't really supported the restructuring, uh, supported you know with a grain of salt, I guess. Um, but but it's been a restructuring that hasn't helped much. I mean, the, the objective should have been for it to help, you know, for, for bonds to, to have to stabilize at a, at a nice high level so that Argentina at some point could convince investors to invest again. But would you do that if you saw bonds collapsing and everybody going, you know, jumping out the window? So I think that this restructuring on the Argentinian side was was actually quite a... Uh, it was quite a, uh, a disappointment 
Uh, I'm, you know, if I were the guy who put this deal together, I probably would be sitting around scratching my head wondering, well, what have I done? Because what they've done in Argentina uh, is similar to what they're looking to do in Zambia, and God knows how that's going to go, right? Well, let's move on to Zambia then. So Zambia is in the same situation. I spoke to Yerlon Sistakov, who's the head of emerging markets at Mundi. He said it's an unprecedented year, the amount of countries coming to restructure, but they're all doing it in different ways. And it sounds like Zambia is doing it in a different way again. Is it in a positive way though? Well, okay, that's an interesting point. Uh, you know, when we talked about RG, I didn't talk about Ecuador. Ecuador was a gentleman's agreement. It was done very nicely even though bonds also did drop. I think there, there was that element of the, you know, the buy side participating or some hedge funds. Uh, hopefully, again, they don't shoot me. Um, but, uh, but, I mean, I think in, at some point, these restructurings have to be done so that the entry point, be that in price terms or in calendar terms, has to be something that makes sense. Right, now let's talk about Zambia. Zambia has been over the last two years, and I, and I can say this because I, I've, I used to own Zambian debt. Um, it, the, the, the general story with Zambia was, look, these guys have deals with the, Colom uh, with the Chileans, sorry, with the Chileans, the Chinese. Um, they, yeah, sorry for that. I, I added the Colombians and the Chileans at the same time. Um, so, so these guys have uh, lots of deals with the, with the Chinese. They're exporting copper. Uh, you know, they are not going to default. They are going to pay. The Chinese will come in at some point. Well, that's a nice little story. But at some point, a couple of weeks ago, they, they came out and, and officially mentioned that they wanted to discuss some kind of restructuring. They have said that they've got funds to pay for the coupons until next year. Um, but they haven't paid the last coupon. And so they are within the grace period. and. The argument now is beginning to lose, uh, let's say, sense. You know, it, why would they push for that? Are they potentially trying to buy some of the debt, uh, their own debt, um, uh, in the secondary market? I mean, that could be possible, right? Uh, I, I would argue, look, bonds were trading at around 57. And I can honestly say I had some bonds, right? And after that, I uh, I sold them uh, at around 55. Uh, basically, I, my personal in my personal position, I, I I was flat. You know, I had made money on the coupons, but I started having the view of a potential bad taste in my mouth, right? Yeah. And and I am looking at the Argentinian restructuring, and I'm and I'm thinking, is it possible that this thing also goes the wrong way? But I think the Zambian way will be more complex. I think they're going to ask for a very large write-off. Um, I think it has been poorly communicated. And, and so I think there, there are more meetings going on. But I would say that, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's likely bonds can, can go down rather than up first. So it's still up in the air for the moment and there's still a lot to be seen. I think one thing that Yerlan mentioned to me was it's a good opportunity and I know we didn't want to get onto ESG, but he said it's a good opportunity for people with the ESG agenda to try and force that onto the restructuring. Um, whether that happens, that also remains to be seen. One, if we can move on slightly, the, the third place, and we talked about this before we started the, the recording, where you got more animated, was what's happening in Venezuela. 
Because as we said, unprecedented year for restructuring. Are they trying to do something unprecedented? Yeah, you remind me of the Rumsfeld uh, days, the axes of evil, and all my James <laughs> Bond movies. Um, look, hopefully I still have my mojo to talk about this. Um, okay, the situation in Veni is the following. We've hit about three years. Uh, we'll, we'll hit about three years after the first default sometime in November. And there's, there's been quite a lot of activity on, on, a, on various fronts. Uh, the first front has been on the lawsuit side. Um, there, and and the, the reason for this is there are some investors out there, and I'd rather not name them, uh, who are in some funds, right? Um, who are coming up with the idea that you have to buy their funds uh, for two reasons. One, for economic reasons. Okay, Venezuela is really cheap. It might change one day. And, and that's, that's legitimate, right? Uh, but these guys are also claiming that the, there is a prescription clause uh, in, the, in the prospectus of a few of the government bonds. And this prescription clause, in essence, if you don't file uh, or sue them, uh, within three years, you lose your coupon interest. Uh, of course, just one at a time. So you would lose one of them uh, in November and another one in the next six months. Now, the Venezuelan Creditors Committee uh, and a couple of really good lawyers, including my next door neighbor, uh, who looks at, at uh, restructurings, have said, look, the language is totally, uh, it, it doesn't support this view. So if you want to buy any, my opinion is you buy it because it's really cheap. Um, but, but if you're buying it because you're afraid that prescription is going to be an issue, I would say that it's more important that you think about what happens in another three years, which is when the statute of limitations in New York will come into effect. Uh, you know, this is not legal advice, of course. I think anybody who has Venezuelan debt or wants to buy it with that idea needs to, to talk to a lawyer. Um, but, uh, so, so let's go back. So you've got one fund in Uruguay who's extremely well managed. Uh, there's another fund in London where it's also, I believe, quite sharp at what it's doing. Uh, and then there's another fund that's smaller and it's, uh, it's, it's somewhere in, in continent in Southern Europe. And it's, uh, actually being sued by one of the, by the fund in London, uh, for lots of things that I, I won't get involved in. Um, I would say that the one in Uruguay and the one in London are, are definitely the, the front runners in, in dealing with this. Um, and I would also say something interesting. What I've picked up from all of this is, okay, first you need to understand about prescription and make up your own decision. Uh, but you also need to, to, uh, to think about the effect of a lawsuit in the States. Because a lot of the people who are suing are claiming that they want to be vultures. Um, and that might be an interesting idea. I mean, it worked in Argentina, right? Um, but Venezuela doesn't have a lot of assets for people to go after. So, and there's another small detail that is, has not been discussed by the guys who are filing the lawsuits, which is that once you get a claim in, in the US, I believe, and again, you know, this is my view, uh, this is what I've read, uh, your coupon, which might be giving you, let's say, 9%, 9 and a quarter, 9 and 3 eighths, uh, drops to some kind of rate, which is linked to the federal something rate, um, which is 
less than 1%, right? So if you file a lawsuit today thinking that, well, I've got to get my claim out there, well, it might not be the right idea because you might be dropping your claim on that coupon from, let's say, nine and a quarter to 1%, which is not very interesting. I mean, that's essentially getting 90% write-off on uh, on your coupons if there's a restructuring. So I would say that the there, there's been quite a lot of movement on the Venny side. I, I can admit to you, I've, I've been having one-hour conversations every day on it. There are lots of yeah, lots of lawsuits, um, and the loss, the, the outcome of the lawsuit has varied. I mean, in the states, there are lawsuits that have awarded, uh, but people cannot catch anything because the U.S. government's position is you have to go through OFAC, uh, which is something you know that that uh, manages san- sanctions, and so you actually can't get anything. You might get a uh, an, an award, but you can't actually do anything. Uh, and then you've got the issue, for example, here in the UK with the Bank of England with uh, gold, right? Uh, first, the well, the, the Venezuelans lost the the right to pick up the gold. Uh, that was Guaido, uh, and then uh, the Venezuelans won on appeal, and now there's there's it's up for a debate, and this debate uh, will hinge on the UK's diplomatic position with Veni which is also complex, but remember, there is an embassy here, so they are recognizing that Maduro has, you know, he runs the country, even though they say, you know, some people say it's Guaido. So what would I say? I would say that the lawsuit sphere is, is all over the place. Um, you could you can make up any case. But, okay, highlight of this is that you could feel the, you know, the bubbling around venezuela you know if you if you did like your google uh, search you probably you know something equivalent you would start to hear people saying hey you know maybe i should start looking at what's going on um but i would say that you really have to take it with a real grain of salt you got to be really uh you've got to back it up with really good advice and again i would say these two guys uh who are i believe the front runners are very well uh, prepared and 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 when you talk to them, you'll hear super professional opinions. Uh, and and I haven't heard anybody else coming up with a view that makes sense. So I, I would say, you know, if something happens in in venue tomorrow, it'll be great. Um, but but yeah, all of these issues are are bringing clouds to the story. But it's getting you know the clouds are coming up. It sounds like it is remaining as complex as ever. I don't think we're we're any closer to any sort of reasonable outcome. It sounds like it's a very complex legal situation to fall into. So, again, yeah. it's something we'll probably revisit on future episodes. It'll be interesting to see how that has progressed. Um, I'm conscious of time, Rafael. I was keen to give you some uh, opportunity to speak about Brazil. I know it's a particularly um, uh, personal topic that you like to get into, and it doesn't sound like that is much less complex than Venezuela. There's still a lot of issues going on. Bolsonaro doesn't seem to be able to stay out of the headlines. I know he's the president, so that's always going to be likely. But with um, the car wash situation as it is, with the, the coronavirus cases, is Brazil any closer to being a more stable country or is it just sending further into a, a slightly uh, a basket case scenario? I, th- I think uh, Bolsonaro has given too much power away and and he probably sounds like he he 
runs the country, but he's been giving lots of power to the Senate and the House. Um, he, he, he might become a lame duck at some point. I think his goal is to give as much power away so that his kids uh, stay out of jail. And so the country probably is going to lose. Uh, there, he's probably going to allow some reduction uh, on the effort of the car wash, uh, which is definitely negative. And, and yeah. now I've been reading some interesting Brazilian managers uh, coming up with comments such as, well, you know, the country's debt level is getting very high. Um, I, I've been saying that for months, right? So I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think the story in Brazil is, is that there, is, there are enough resources. There's the ability to, to run the country well. Uh, if these guys screw up for the next six months, uh, then you know they will. It, we will see it. I, I think actually the 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 point that we have to look at is the economy minister. Uh, the economy minister, in my, my humble opinion, you know who am I? Uh, as an academician, uh, I would say that uh, that he has failed uh, to bring a solution to their to all their problems. You know the the fiscal reform. Um, he's he's really out there against a a political class that wants to ignore everything. So so I would not be surprised if Geddes at some point leaves. I hoped that he would uh, be able to pull uh, you know more aces from his uh, sleeves, um, but somehow he hasn't been able to do it, and Bolsonaro hasn't given him the right to do it. Uh, so I, w I would say, yeah, I'm still not too excited about Brazil. And, and I, I'm not going to say it's going to collapse. But I would say that, you know, our friends in Scandinavia are spot on. Uh, there's, there's talk about what happens in the Amazon. And there's just, there is no cohesive plan uh, coming from the head uh, to, to go to, you know, to move on uh, positively. I think this is the problem. You know, I'm. I, I I could tell you that I'm I'm afraid of going there, but I'm not. I mean, it's it's not that kind of issue yet. But it's it could get to that point at one point because at one point the rule of law just goes, you know, just ends. Um. So yeah, I would say you know I think it continues to be bad. I, I don't like the way things are going there. Well, it's it's a quite bleak note to end on because we've got Brazil with a. Seemingly in some sort of spiral. We've got Argentina proving as problematic as ever. Venezuela mired in the court. Zambia trying to restructure, and an election coming up in two or three weeks' time that people aren't particularly hopeful of the outcome. So, are there any bright spots, Rafael? Is there anything nice we could finish on? Well, I think that the asset class looks interesting. Okay, on an on a global diversified level, you know, if you're talking about asset allocation and efficient frontiers, it still looks good. Uh, let, let's let's take a, a, a quick look, right? The the dollar uh, segment of the market is basically making about one percent on the year, uh, give or take. Uh, this on the sovereign side, that's all right, right? On the corporate side, it's doing a little bit better, around three and a half. And and if you combine the two, I think that you you get a, a quite a nice position. The local currency. Uh, is the one that is really lagging. I mean, it continues to be down three and a half to four percent at the index level. It's it's a different game. Um, so I think 
the asset class, as long as you get a manager who who does things right, and let's say you know who hasn't gone too deep into local, uh, you will be able to generate cute, nice returns. You know, acceptable, but you know, uh, uh, returns that are pleasant to the eye. Um, it, again, in a global diversified uh, concept, and remembering that we are in Goldilocks. So if you get eight percent in a country, you know, for a small position, as long as you diversify it intelligently. Uh, you know, I've got a an, an old investor of mine who is, you know, uh, he's isn't well financially. He doesn't have financial problems, and he told me the other day, well, look. I, I invest a lot in equities because they're liquid and, and I do, I, I, I dip my toes in a few emerging countries uh, where I think I'm going to make money. You know, I, I'm, I'm diversified enough in emerging, uh, you know, maybe not, I don't have 70 countries, but I have a few of them. Uh, but I'm careful, you know, I don't go into all of them, but I do get some nice uh, added value from emerging. And I think in Goldilocks, uh, we, we should continue to be having that. Uh, JP Morgan, and, and again, you know, I'm quoting from something I've read, so I, I hope that it's still accurate, uh, was looking at a return of about 5 to 7% on the year um, for uh, the asset class, I, the dollar side. And if you think about uh, the, the sovereign corporate sides, we're not too far away from it. You know, we, we could have a decent... Uh, uh, reach towards five uh, by by year end. So if we walked out of the you know in December for Christmas and and we we could say we we made five percent, I think it would be it would be all right, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something to to aspire to and hope for. So maybe we'll have one more check in before then, and we'll see how we are towards the end of the year. As always, Raphael, thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thanks very much too for uh, listening to my my little sayings. Uh, luckily, you know, I know that Mohammed's dog usually sits in the background and is very quiet. Uh, I was able to drug mine with a treat, uh, so she didn't do that. Uh, so yeah, maybe I'll put her on 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 this next time. That's great. We can have a special guest for our November uh, episode. <laughs> You're Excellent, fantastic. Raphael. Thank you very much. Thank you too.